Hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly and we're glad that you've joined us today. Uh, we're into a series that we started last week called Unstoppable and uh, this is part two and so grab, a, maybe, grab another refill on your coffee, kind of settle in and here we go. But I remember I was in high school and a group of my friends decided they wanted to play paintball. I don't know if you've ever played paintball before, but we thought it would be fun to kind of all get together. And there was this outdoor facility that, that, that hosted paintball events. And so there was like 10 of our friends. And so they, we went and they give you um, the protective gear that you need, the, uh, the paintballs, the, the gun that you need, the, the paintball gun, and then the CO2 cartridge that you need to shoot the paintballs out. And I'd never been before. It actually just sounded like a lot of fun. Like a bunch of guys out in the woods hunting each other with paintball guns. And I was all in. I was, it, it was, sounded amazing. And I was, because I'd never done it before, I didn't really know what to expect. But all I know is it sounded like a lot of fun and, and it sounded like a bit, of a, a bit of a rush. So I arrived the morning of the paintball battle. And we head into this building where... Um, we pay our fee and uh, they start handing out the protective equipment. They give you a mask and um, your paintball gun, your, all your paintballs that you'll need and your, and your CO, CO2 cartridge, like I said. And um, now what I failed to mention was we weren't the only ones there. There was like 10 of us that, that I knew, but there was about 30 people I didn't know. There's about 40 guys in all and we were split into two teams and they let us know the game we'd be playing initially was capture the flag. And so basically the enemy team had a flag on their side and we had a flag on our side. Our job was to cross over into enemy territory, get the flag, secure it, bring it back to our base before they were able to do the same thing with, with the other flag and the first team to get their flag back to the base wins. Now, all along the way, you didn't get like three lives and you're out or whatever. If you got hit with a paintball at all and it and made a mark on your body, on your equipment, your mask, anywhere, you're out. You put your hand up, you yell him out, and you walk out to the out-of-bounds area in the woods. So after briefing us on the rules, we're assigned to our teams. And they take us out, and, and they load us up into the back of two army trucks, like legitimate army trucks. And I was like, wow, this is a nice touch. This actually kind of feels sort of real. And so each truck drives off in a different direction and, and unload us in our, in our base. And so... We're shown the flag. This is the flag the enemy's going to kind of try and come and get. And you need to go to their end and secure the one in their end. And then as a team, we start to strategize. Okay, what are we going to do? We're going to send some people out are going to, to attack. We're going to try and get the flag. And we're going to have some people are going to um, play defense. And so I got, I got picked in the first game as one of the few people that were assigned to defend the flag. I, my job is to make sure none of the enemy... Uh, gets in there and gets the flag it's at all costs defend this flag and so this large horn blares and it declares the war has now begun and i'm pumped i'm like this is going to be so much fun and so i look around i'm like okay what am i going to do what am i going to do i look and i see this big tree and i'm thinking okay it's near the flag if i climb up this tree i'm going to have a great vantage point i can see the enemy coming from well, a while. And uh, so I'm going to climb up this tree and I'm going to ambush anybody who comes along. So I begin climbing the tree. But what I don't realize as I'm climbing up the tree is that my, my gun rubbed up against the, the tree trunk and it unclipped this, this tube that had all my paintballs in it. And so as I'm climbing up the tree, 
all my paintballs are falling out of my gun and I don't know any of this at this point. And so I get up to the, this high spot, I kind of get myself settled and I start watching now for the enemy. I'm watching for any, any of the other team coming towards our flag. And I can hear in the distance paintballs being shot because you can hear the CO2 cartridge go psh, psh, psh. And, and I, I, you can hear that. I can hear people screaming, <laughs> yelling. Uh, and, it, and it just like, there was definitely war going on. And that's when I start to wonder, I wonder what it feels like to get hit with an actual paintball. I wonder what it, that feels like. And again, I'm up in this tree waiting on the enemy. I don't know all my paintballs have, have left or gone. And then I see in the distance, I see something move. And so I'm now I'm watching. I've got my paintball gun out and I'm watching and I see a guy from the other team sneaking along the tree line. And then I see another person and another person. Before I know it, there's, there's a small band of five guys all sneaking towards our flag and so now my heart's starting to race and my, my palms are starting to get sweaty and I'm, the adrenaline starts to kick in and I'm thinking oh man uh, and they don't even see me up here this is going to be such a surprise attack like I'm kind of chuckling to myself a little bit and I'm thinking okay I'm going to have to, before they know where I'm at, I'm going to have to move quickly and I'm going to have to shoot all five of them before they know where it's coming from. And I'm thinking, I can do this, I can do this. And right when they hit the clearing, I have this clear shot and I pull the trigger quickly in succession. And nothing comes out. Absolutely nothing comes out. However, the CO2 still makes the noise of shots being fired. And that's when all five guys start looking around and they look up and there I am. And I'm looking at my gun wondering what happened. How come there's no paintballs coming out? And then they unloaded. And, and they didn't just take one shot each. When all was, said, all was said and done, I ended up getting hit 37 times in that tree. And I found the answer to my question. Does a paintball hurt? Well, the short answer is yes and no. If you get hit somewhere that's padded, like I had, a, I was wearing like a winter vest kind of thing. When I got hit there, I didn't even hardly even feel it. I could see that there was paint on there, that, but I didn't feel it. But if you get hit in certain exposed spots, it leaves a welt that doesn't go away for like a week. And did you know that one of the spots on your body that has the most exposed nerve endings is the skin underneath your thumb or fingernail? Well, it hurts. If you get hit with a paintball there, which I did, it was extremely painful. And all of a sudden it got really real. I'm like, ah, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. And I'm yelling. And it was all fun and games, but now I'm in this lot of pain. I got welts everywhere to show for it. And it turns out my genius plan of climbing up a tree, it actually wasn't that genius. And some of the guys that were there were pretty hardcore. I was there to have a good time. They, they showed up with camouflage and they had paint on their face and they had hand signals and they brought their own, their own paintball guns that came in a case and they had strategy and they, they knew never go up a tree because you'll get stuck and you, you're, you're trapped. And it got me thinking, if this was a real war, if this was live ammunition, if these were real guns, would I, if the enemy was real, would I, would I really have climbed up into a tree? and left myself that exposed, not a chance. But it was play. 
It was fun. So you take more risks when the, the consequences aren't that dire if you're wrong. You can be a little more careless and not suffer those consequences. Which got me thinking about the way we see life. Do you see life as a playground? Or do you see it as a battleground? See, for many of us culturally, we treat life like a playground. It's about having the most fun that you can have, not worrying so much about the consequences. But I would think the Bible would teach that life is a lot more like a battleground. There's an unseen battle that's taking place all around us. And if you're in a battleground, you, you treat it like it, and you treat it like it's a playground, you put yourself in, in extreme danger, but not just yourself, but you put people around you in danger as well. One of my friends that was on my team, because we played, I don't know, four or five games that day. And one of my friends on one of the games, when I got back into the game, we started a new game. And I was on the attacking team this time. And uh, we were hiding in a bunker, and there was another team just, just about, you know, 50 yards away. And they were hiding in a bunker, and we were shooting at each other, but hiding all at the same time. And one of my friends, got his, his gun got jammed. I think some, a paintball broke in it, and all of a sudden it, it just jammed. He couldn't do anything with it. Basically, his gun became useless. And, and, and because there was a rule that in order to eliminate a player, you just had to get paint on them came up with this crazy idea. And because his gun wasn't working, he was going to grab a handful of paintballs and he was going to run directly at the enemy and try to smack them with the paintballs and get some paint on them and eliminate them. Well, I can't even call that bravery. It's just actually absolutely ridiculous. But he jumps over the barrier and, and, and that we're behind and he starts running straight at the enemy bunker and he's screaming at the top of his lungs the whole way with this handful of paint and at first the other team they're they're kind of stunned they can't believe that they're actually seeing this happen and he's running right for them but eventually they kind of get their wits about them and they start unloading their guns on him and inexplicably none of the paintballs as they're hitting him actually break and so because he doesn't have any paint, he keeps going. And they, he's still technically in the game. And he's charging, and they don't know what to do. So they turn around, and they start running. It was just it was incredible to watch. But in a real war, that would be incredibly stupid. <laughs> Treating a real war like a playground would have its own dangers and put everyone around us in danger. I mean, he, he jumped over the barrier. He exposed the location where we were. He... he he put himself in a spot where he could have been taken out. And now we're, in, we're a man down and over, outnumbered and, and probably open to defeat. It's the same way in life. When the people in your inner circle treat life like it's a game, not only do they suffer, but you do as well. Not only do they suffer consequences, but you do as well. When you're on a playground, it's all about you. Everything on the playground, the swings, the slides, the climbing structures, it all exists there for your enjoyment. It's all about, the only thing you're worried about doing is maximizing the amount of fun that you can have. And that's the playground approach to life. But a battleground's different. In a battleground, there's a constant state of awareness. You recognize that there is an enemy and you are highly alert for the sake of not just you, but those around you, those that you care about. So there's this term that's thrown around when it comes to uh, in the army where people where, where soldiers are fighting side by side and it's, it's a band of brothers. 
Soldiers would go to war, and at one point in their lives they were strangers, but now they fight side by side with each other, and they become as close as family. They have a common enemy, and they watch each other's back, they care about each other, and they, they probably owe their lives to each other more than one occasion. Spiritually speaking, famous pastor Charles Spurgeon said it like this, Be assured that thou shalt find full men everywhere, or enemies everywhere. When thou sleepest, think that thou art resting on the battlefield. When thou walkest, suspect an ambush in every hedge. So you understand, when you let your guard down, even while you rest, it's easy to forget that there's a war, a spiritual war that's waging around you, and you sleep on a battlefield. You need to be ready. My grandparents lived in England before they moved to Ireland, and I remember my grandmother telling me a story when I was really young, what it was like during World War II in England. And they had learned to identify the sound of British planes in comparison to German planes. They had a different sound to them. And so they could, when they heard the sound in the air, they knew which, which one it was. So you had to be on guard. And there was an alarm that would sound if there was German planes incoming. And that meant to run to the bomb shelter and get inside the bomb shelter. And I remember my grandmother telling us that this one time the alarm went off and, and she wasn't able to locate all my aunts and uncles when they were, they were young. One of them had separated from the group. And by the time she found them, the, the bomb shelter door had been closed and locked. And so the only choice she had was to hide under a large truck, or as she called it, a lorry. But there's this constant state of awareness when you know that there's an enemy threat and it's imminent. It's different than a playground. And so that leads to the question, do you approach life more like a playground or a battleground? Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is in a Roman jail and he's writing to the Christians in Ephesus. He's most likely chained to a Roman guard. Paul knows what it means to have an enemy. He's literally chained to his enemy. And yet Paul doesn't see this Roman guard as his enemy. He understands that this, this person that he's chained to was chosen to just babysit him. And so in Ephesians 6, Paul talks to us about the spiritual battleground. And we're starting in verse 10, where Paul's at the end of his letter and he says, A final word. Now, he says that because... He's already talked to the Christians in his letter previously. He's talked about who they are in Jesus. He begins Ephesians talking about their identity. You are children of God. You are citizens of heaven. That's who you are. And then in chapter 4, he transitions from their identity to how they should live or their behavior. He begins with identity, who you are, and then he moves to how you should live, which is incredibly important, the, the, the transition from one to the other. It's identity and then behavior. Identity and then behavior. Some of you grew up in church and it was behavior without speaking about identity. You emphasized behavior. You knew what you could do and what you couldn't do. And they left out the identity part. That's why some of your friends and your family, when they think of going to church or when they think of becoming a Christian, they think about Christians as being, oh, you're just a bunch of people with rules. Like, I don't want to become a Christian because then all it is is about telling me what I can't do. They have no concept of identity. Emphasizing behavior without identity will always leave you feeling like you're a failure or a hypocrite. And so Paul says, your behavior reflects your identity, not the other way around. 
You're not a child of God because you act right. You strive to act right because you are a child of God. And so Paul continues with how we should live. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you may be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. See, your battle isn't against flesh and blood. It just seems like it is. I mean, you might, not, you might even be able to, to name the person that you feel like you're in a battle with. They might actually be sitting beside you as you watch this right now. Your, your battle is not against flesh and blood. You, you might think it's your enemy, but it's not. Paul says there's so much more to it. There's so much more that's going on behind the scenes. So you think your, your battle is purely physical. You might see your battle as an addiction, or you might see it as a relationship that's strained, or you might see your battle as you against the, the government or, or culture. But Paul says that's just the outward appearance. That, that's just what you see. There's something behind the scenes. Paul says there is an enemy. The Bible references the devil or, or Satan. And it's not, today, it's not that popular to believe in a spiritual being called the, the devil. Many people believe that it's just a metaphor, but, and there's nothing really to him. But that's exactly what the devil would want you to believe. Especially in our Western culture. Because most of the rest of the world would recognize that there is a spiritual enemy of mankind but in our culture we believe well we're a little too sophisticated to believe in that idea but the bible makes it clear that there is a spiritual realm of good and evil and that this world is just the flesh and blood of what we see and i think even the biggest skeptics understand that there's something to that there's some truth to that that there's more than what we see there's something else that's going on and part of the reason we struggle to submit to this thought is that removes the power out of our hands. We like to be in control. We like to be able to rationalize everything and ultimately be able to control and manage all things. Flesh and blood problems can be solved by flesh and blood solutions. If we can explain it, then, then we can fix it. And we tend to think that every problem in our world can be fixed with, well, if we change the policies or we have proper funding for certain things. And I'm not saying that government can't or government policy doesn't matter or can't change things or we can't help hunger or racial injustice or poverty or with practical solutions but we're fooling ourselves if we think that if we we with a few law changes and some properly funded social programs we'll fix our society because as long as there's hate and greed in the hearts of men and women as long as there's sin and dysfunction there will always be brokenness that can't be fixed by us you can fix some of the symptoms, but to get to the root of the problem, you're going to need to pull back the curtain and see what else is there. For example, for those of you that are married, you have an issue in your marriage and things are just kind of seem like they're strained. There's some practical steps that you can do to kind of help with that. You can, you can read a book on marriage. You can go to a seminar with your spouse on a marriage seminar, you can go to counseling together. You can follow step-by-step -step instructions of everything you're told. This will help you fix your marriage. You can follow all those step-by-step -step instructions, but all those things, as good as they are, will not help you achieve the things if you don't address the disconnect. The, the heart of the issue is this, the spiritual connection between the two of you. 
It's not just if I buy her flowers and I compliment her hair, then automatically that will fix a lot of the hurt and, and disconnect that we've been experiencing. There's an intimacy and a deep spiritual connection that needs, to, needs attention, needs to be seen to in order to start to fix it. And so because our, our battle is not just purely flesh and blood, we can't fight with flesh and blood weapons. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this in chapter 10. He says, we're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. You see, if we use worldly weapons, we would defend anger with anger. If someone attacks us, we would seek revenge because that's our natural instinct. When some, someone harms us, we would seek harm on them and their loved ones. You know, if you look into the, the practices of the Taliban, if you're an enemy of the Taliban, the Taliban doesn't just target you, they target your home and your family as well. If we're using worldly weapons, these are the type of rules of engagement. But Paul says we don't wage war as humans do. We don't use the same weapon, weaponry. Paul says, you want to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning of, or of false arguments? You're not going to do it with arguing and debating. If you own a social media account, which likely you do if you're watching this, you know this. I mean, every day there's thousands and thousands of opinions and arguments and, and that are thrown out there. And I don't remember on Facebook ever reading, oh, someone said, write this. Oh, you're right. I am wrong. I'm glad we've had this discussion. I'm so much better off for having my opinion challenged. I, I, I'm, I see clearly with reason that uh, my theory was false. Why, thank you, kind sir. You, you don't see that. Instead, what we see is we see people get angry, get defensive. We, we see the name call. We see the mock. And, and, and then they unfriend. And worldly weapons are clearly not working in this instance. So God says to use his mighty weapons instead. What are those? Well, if you have an enemy, you pray for them. If someone curses you, you don't curse them back, you bless them. That's the weapons that God wants you to carry in your arsenal. If someone asks you to go one mile, you go two. Jesus said this himself in Matthew 5. He said, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. See, Romans, the Romans in, in, invented the postal service and they, they created roads to transport things from one spot to another and so roman mail carriers would lug these bags these 60 plus pound bags around with them and, and one of the rules they had was they could ask any jewish person that they came across to carry the bag for them it didn't matter what the jewish person was doing they had to drop everything they were doing and help this roman mail carrier carry his bag for a mile but that was the stipulation you could not ask him to carry it for more than one mile and these 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 roads often had uh, road markers, kind of like our highways do today. And so it was easy to tell how far a mile was, but Jesus says, that's not our standard. If your enemy says, take, your, take this bag one mile, take it two. We don't fight with earthly weapons. And, and when, you, when you look at this, though, it, sometimes it feels like weakness. It feels like surrender. But ultimately, we know that when Jesus went to the cross, the cross this was exactly how the war was ultimately won through sacrifice and love and humility. That is what destroys evil. The moment that you match hate with hate, anger with anger, contempt with contempt, you're no longer fighting against the enemy, you're fighting alongside the enemy. 
So we want to pray that God would open our eyes and show us how to fight battles in the same way that Jesus did. Because we naturally want to respond in a different way, especially when you've been offended. The Bible calls offense the, the bait of Satan. Because if he can get you, if he can get you offended, if he can get you offended, he confuses you who the enemy is. And you pick up his weapons, and now you fight for him. So let's not confuse who the enemy is. The enemy is not your unbelieving spouse who pokes fun at you for watching this right now. Your, your, your enemy is not the co-worker or your boss who makes your life difficult. Your enemy is not the spiteful neighbor or the bully at your school. These are not your enemies. These are actually just the victims of your enemy. As a church... Our enemies are not the people who don't agree with us. Our enemies are not other religions or the Supreme Court or, or government. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. And so Paul says, we don't wage war in the way that the world does. And then he says, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Now this phrase right here implies that there is an enemy that has a scheme or a strategy, or a very specific plan to destroy you and separate you from God. The devil's two primary weapons are temptation and accusation. And these two things are always rooted in lies. Lies about you and lies about God. But there are strategies that the Satan uses to activate these two weapons. And I'm going to talk about these strategies so that we can recognize them. Now, just to give you an analogy, I love football. And, and in fact... On a Sunday afternoon, after I'm done at church, you know, it's customary for me to go home and grab some lunch and sit down and watch an afternoon of football. And the game is so strategic. It's, if you don't know the rules to football, I, I understand how it can be hard to follow. You know, a guy took his wife to his, her first NFL game, and they had great seats right behind the team's bench. And after the game, he asked her how she liked her experience. And she said, oh, I really liked it especially all the action and the excitement, but I just couldn't understand why they were killing each other over 25 cents. Dumbfounded, her husband asked, what do you mean? And she said, well, they flipped a coin at the start and one team got it. And for the rest of the game, all they kept screaming was, get the quarterback, get the quarterback. And I'm like, hello, it's only 25 cents. The team with the, the ball will try to move the ball downfield. While the defense tries to stop them, stop them from scoring. And the quarterback, as he's just about to snap the ball, he's, he's lined up on the line. He's facing against the, the line of the defense. And he's watching what's happening and the movement that's happening in the backfield. And, 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 and they have a plan of how they're, going to, how they're going to defend. Or ultimately, they want to get through that, that front line and get the quarterback and tackle him to the ground. Because if you tackle him to the ground, he can't throw. If he can't throw it's hard for them to score. The best quarterbacks are the ones that will, at the line, will, will look at the strategy of the enemy team and then adjust accordingly. And that will make him successful. And so it's important for us to understand the type of attack that the enemy is planning and then we can make our adjustments. We, if we know it's coming, we can adjust accordingly. Here's some of the common strategies that the devil will use. Number one is divide and conquer. I mean, we see this so much in churches right now that if the devil's like, if I can mask an attack 
And it seems like it's, it's the attack is actually the virus, COVID, which is, is dangerous in itself. But what's so dangerous is the division that I can create within the church. That's why as a church, we've decided, we've decided that we're not going to stand uh, I, I, for this attack. We're not going to fall for it. That we're going to stand together united no matter what comes along in, the, in our, despite what our opinions are of COVID, despite whether we believe in or don't believe in the vaccine or the restrictions, we are choosing each other over division. Another strategy is, is called Blitzkrieg. This Blitzkrieg, this is a war strategy, but you hear about this in football as well. It's called a blitz, where there's an, this is where the enemy sees an opening. They see a weakness maybe in your line. They send a swarm of attacks at you all at once. You thought you were well protected, and maybe you let your guard down. You said you'd never do that. You'd never allow that. The enemy saw your pride and saw an opening and attacked with everything. And you didn't see the attack coming. You were targeted. That's why it's so important that we pray for our kids at school. Especially the transition years from elementary to high school, high school to college. The enemy has a way of hitting them hard and precise. And if they're not ready, they're left reeling. Another strategy is counteroffensive. This is where there's one wave of attacks that knocks you back on your heels. And just as you feel like you are worn down, but you're starting to get back to your feet, another attack comes and knocks you down again. Maybe for you, this was financial. This happened to you financially. And your furnace broke down. You weren't expecting it. You didn't really have the reserve funds that you needed. And, but you managed to make it work. You cut some corners. You managed to make it work. And then all of a sudden, an email comes from Revenue Canada that says they've reassessed your tax return. You thought you were getting a $1,000 refund, but it turns out you actually owe them $800. Or maybe, maybe you, you face cancer. And you went through the treatments, and you fought, and you thought it was behind you, and then you went to another appointment, and you found out it's back. And the attack seems strategic, and you don't know if you have it to fight back again. It, it keeps, seems like it comes in waves and knocks you down. Another strategy is shock and awe. This is where the attack is so big, so strong, you quit before you even begin to fight. I remember coaching basketball one time, grade seven, eight boys. And at one point we played this team that showed up in a, uh, a, a match. They, they showed up to the game. They were, they were bigger. They seemed like they were bigger than us. I don't know if they were or not. But they all had matching warm-up. Warm-up jerseys, warm-up pants. They had matching bags. And they just looked like this professional team that walked into the gymnasium. And I remember my boys just going, okay, I guess we lost. I guess we're going to lose. We hadn't even started the game. Shock and awe. It's also the person who has maybe has been given a diagnosis and seems too much. Lost their job suddenly. Your spouse walked out on you, didn't see it coming. And you just like, it's too much. Too big. I quit. Another strategy is the Trojan horse. In the mythical story, the Greeks conquered the city of Troy by giving them a wooden horse as a gift. And Troy is, was protected by these large, large walls, but when the Greeks gave them this peace offering, this giant wooden horse, they didn't realize that when they let this horse inside the walls, that inside the horse was a Greek army that was about to attack and conquer them. This is where the enemy shows you the bait, but hides the hook. 
And they give you something maybe that looks appealing, looks like it would be good for you, looks like it's something you've wanted for such a long time. Maybe it's the job you always wanted. Maybe it's the promotion you always wanted. It pays more. There's lots of perks, lots of travel. You don't realize that it's going to this thing that you thought you wanted is now going to be the downfall of your marriage. Now going to be the strain in the relationship with your kids because the demands are going to be more than you bargained for and the costs are going to be too high. Another strategy is distraction. This is the playground, just playground strategy. Where you treat life or you're convinced life is a playground. And you convince yourself that this is what life is supposed to be. And instead of using your life to do something bigger than yourself, you settle for less things that distract you and seem like a lot of fun. Maybe today as I list out the different schemes of the enemy, you can relate. For some of you, you're under attack, like currently under attack. And it took a lot for you even just to, to watch this morning. It's okay to feel weary. It's okay to feel like you're staggering. Because the Bible tells us that we just need to stand firm, but not on our own power. But in the power of the mighty God who loves you. He has our back. He fights for us. There's a story in the Old Testament found in 2 Kings where the king of Aram, an enemy of Israel wants to destroy Elijah, the prophet. So he sends an entire army to go find him and kill him. This one prophet. This is the shock and awe strategy. We're going to send the whole thing. Soldiers, horses, chariots to kill one prophet. 2 Kings 6.14 says, So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. This is Elijah's servant. And he comes back in. He says, oh, sir, what, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elijah. Now, it was obviously an overwhelming situation. He walks out, first thing, looks around, and the whole city is surrounded by this massive army. And he's thinking, we're done for. I mean, there's no way out of this. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're overpowered, outnumbered, overwhelmed? The only option is to really throw in the towel? But listen to how Elijah responds. He says to his servant, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Which he's kind of thinking, maybe you didn't hear me, Elijah. They didn't send a man to come kill you. They sent an army. They sent so many people, there's no way. Then Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elijah was filled with horses and chariots of fire. So you may feel outnumbered, overpowered, overwhelmed, and wounded, but Elijah knew. Standing behind us is someone greater and more powerful that will fight when we can't. There are more on our side than on theirs. There's a spiritual battle going on, but we can be rest assured that there are more on our side than there are on theirs. That's what I want you to walk away from today knowing. As a church, as a follower of Jesus, there's a spiritual battle. There's an enemy intent on destroying you. An enemy with different schemes and but you have no reason to fear. 
Standing behind you is someone who is greater than any attack, greater than any enemy. My prayer is God open our eyes and let us see, for there are more on our side than there are in theirs. Let's pray. God, I pray for I pray for the person this morning that's watching and they're kind of at the end of the rope. They, they've, they've been attacked and, and it may feel like um, they've been the conflict around them has caused their pain. Maybe it's divine conquer. Maybe they've been blitzed. The enemy just, just sent so much at them in one shot. Maybe it's shock and awe. They're overwhelmed and they don't think, they don't know what to do. And God, I pray that today they would know in a very real way that there's a God out there who loves them, cares about them, and will stand behind them and fight, with, fight for them when they can't. God, that there are, there are better days ahead, that we don't have to live in fear, that we don't have to be, to, to be overwhelmed by our situation, that our situation will come and go, but your love and your care for us never does. And so today, God, allow us to, to feel your presence, to, to know that you're there and that you care. Amen.